Welcome to another episode of the Rental Journal Podcast, a podcast dedicated to the equipment rental industry. I'm your host, Mark Simonson, and earlier this week, it was International Women's Day. So as a surprise, we're going to be releasing six podcasts in six days, all women. Today on the podcast, we have Angela McLaughlin. Angela is the Application Support Manager at Onsite Rental Group. Angela has over 20 years experience in the industry and has basically done every type of role you can think of in the, in the rental business, even to the point where she's helped manage acquisitions, mergers, implementing new rental software, training staff, traveling around the country, whatever it might be, she's, sort of, she's basically done it. So I'm very, very excited to talk to Angela about the journey she's gone in the industry and how she got to where she is today. Angela, thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. To kick things off, can you talk to me about how you got into the equipment rental industry? Thanks, Mark, and thank you very much for having me on. I started in the rental industry back in 2001 when I joined my father's business, General Rentals, here in Brisbane. My father, Ralph Walker, had a long-serving career in the rental industry, starting at Crown Forklifts in 1974, followed by Coates Hire from 1988 to 1998, um, when he then opened up his own business. Okay, so so then, like, what was the thing that attracted you to go work at your father's business to begin with? Well, when I finished school, um, it didn't actually cross my mind to join my father's business or the industry for that matter. I started working for a company called Servcorp and they're an organization that sells serviced offices, virtual offices and co-working space. Um, so it wasn't until dad had been in operation for a couple of years that the opportunity presented. Okay. And so what, what was your first job at the business then? Were you sort of helping out with the administration side? Like how, how did you sort of fit into it? Yeah, so I guess um, my first sort of role was office administrator. Um, But obviously, being a small family business, um, you're pretty much exposed to all aspects. So that's from the hire office to accounts payable, accounts receivable, and even down to equipment sales. So yeah, pretty broad job, I guess. It was about a couple of years into it, we um, I was involved in implementing Texada. Um, software application into the business. Um, I guess it was at that point that I found my passion for software applications and became the main administrator. Yeah. Okay. And so, so then what was the transition then? So today you're at your onsite rentals. So like what was the transition from that business to where you are today? Yeah, so in uh, 2004, my father retired. He always had an ambition in life to be uh, retired at 55 and he lived up to his word, he did. Um, So I continued on in the business for another 12 months and then um, sadly it was sold. So, but that then became perfect timing for Trevor James, the owner and uh, director of on-site access at the time. And he was keen to hit the Brisbane market so with myself and three other employees from General Rentals, we made the shift over to on-site access and um, to open up the Brisbane branch. Mm. Okay. And so General Rentals, was that mostly an access division or was it all sorts of rentals? Yes, it was. Yeah. No, he's a specialist um, in access. And, um, and obviously when we came across to on-site access, it was a specialised access company. It wasn't until um, soon after that... Trevor then joined forces with Tim Helfer's business, All Purpose Access in Perth. 
Um, and, and then soon after we acquired Giant Access in Victoria. Um, and then it was around about 2007, I believe, that um, we then merged with Onsite Rentals, which is the portables business. And we officially became Onsite Rentals. So, and this month I'm actually celebrating my 15 year service. Wow, how exciting. So that's, a, that's an amazing achievement. Like what's your current job title today at Onsite? Application support manager. And were you always that or like what was your, your so process I, to get there? So I started as the, um, I came across more as a general all-rounder um, office administrator. And then very quickly after I um, was promoted to the systems administrator and that was to implement Baseline software. Um, and then I've continued in that role pretty much till here I am today, apart from a name change of application support manager. And it was really that that first instance back when you implemented Texada and the original business that really got your interest in, I guess, the software side and, and, the, and the back office functions on, on what, what makes the, the wheels turn. Is that sort of what got your interest? Definitely. Yep. Yep. And it always has been my passion ever since. Um, I guess I have that very strong understanding of, um, of how the software systems are configured and on all the different parameters and stuff like that. But I think working from a, from a small family owned business, but also when we, when I did start with onsite um, back in uh, 2005, like it was a very small business. It was, it was only our Sydney and Brisbane branch at that point in time. So I guess I was very hands-on um, in all functional areas. So that was from higher controller duties um, to onboarding equipment, disposing of assets, running monthly depreciation, running our monthly billing, um, just to name a few. So that's then obviously allowed me um, to support the business moving forward just with having so much exposure and understanding um, of all facets of the business. Yeah, I think it, it would be hard for someone to come in and do your role without having that prior experience because you, exactly. you can say you've done that job. You know what it's like to do that change. And you know if you're going to change a process, what that means for that end user as well. Oh, history is everything. And um, obviously, you know, the first five years of working at Onsite, um, you know, when I think about it, there was obviously the merging with all-purpose access, the merging with um, or the acquisition of giant access. And then we had the merger with Onsite Rentals. And around that time, we also do due diligence and everything like that with equity companies. So that first five years, you just think, how did, how did we survive? <laughs> the following five years um, was a massive game changer for the business because that's when we acquired Wasp and also the statewide um, acquisition over in WA. And that's just when we became more of a general um, hire company. So, you know, we were very specialized in our field with access and portables. And then before we knew it, we had generators and compressors rocking up and lighting towers and um, earth moving and compaction. And for a lot of us, um, we had absolutely, yeah, no exposure, no experience in that field. So that was um, a considerable game changer for our business. So, you know, um, the first 10 years, the company has just grew mm. so, incredibly. So, so then when you first 
got merged with the portables business, what was the size of the organization and what's the size of the organization today? Yeah, so when we um, merged with the portables business from an access point of view, um, it would have only been our, uh, the Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane and Perth branches. Um, so as far as size goes, I wouldn't know numbers, um, but today as an overall company, we're sitting, I think there's about 480 employees nationally. Wow. And so, yeah, yeah, you, you would have seen the business change so much, not just from the size, but the the culture and then the, the management team and, and the way that you yes. deal with your customers and the equipment that you rent, like you mentioned, and the software and what it touches. Like there would have been so much change that occurred starting from that very mm. original day, day one. That's exactly right. Yeah. Mm. So, so then when you say that you, you, you're in more of a back office role, so do you do exactly to support the end users? And it'll be good to understand because a lot of people aren't um, privy to some of these types of roles because they're they're more on the front end and then on the on the back end of the operation. So can you explain yeah. like what, what a day to day looks like for you? Yeah, for sure. Being a part of the IT support team, uh, there's no two days the same. My team's daily responsibilities include the onboarding and offboarding of users, organising the dispatchment of hardware and mobile devices, and triaging and responding to end user support requests relating to our application, our software applications. So I guess as the application support manager, I work closely with our developers and also our software vendors. I coordinate and manage new software releases, and that includes UAT testing, preparing release notes, and updating our knowledge base articles. I also contribute to an, um, a number of major projects, and in the recent years, um, I've been involved in pricing, the CRM rollout, and also our uh, new industrial services application. I also assist with setting up new branches in our ERP system and um, are involved in acquisitions from a system point of view. So with acquisitions, um, my involvement would be mapping of databases and migrating across their contracts and equipment and fixed asset registers, creditor and debtor subledgers and, and so forth. So um, each acquisition has definitely had its challenges. Um, I think to date, I've probably been involved in 10 or more acquisitions. And um, I guess the role that we play is to try and migrate them as quickly as we can um, across into our system uh, with uh, little impact to our customers. So hopefully that helps people understand my involvement um, within my organisation and from a back-end support role. And, and I can imagine, like you, you mentioned those 10 acquisitions, because really you've also got this challenge of management, managing change management for people that are outside of your organization that are coming into the business as well, which is another challenge oh, in itself. Exactly. And with any acquisition, you know, there's emotions involved. Um, there's a lot of change and people need to adapt. So it's, it's being able to, yeah, manage that um, and and feel like respect people's emotions and an understanding of how they're feeling um, and to try and make that transition for them as easy um, as possible for them, yeah. And I guess because you've come from a, a business that was eventually sold, you know what that feels like as well. Oh, def definitely. I think it, for anybody that's worked in a, in a small family business, um, 
it really like I still have that inside of me today like I still treat on site um like it's my family it's my baby like I've you know I've been with it you know from the start and it sounds like your dad really played a big influence on you to really fall in love with the industry as well yeah look I think growing up um with a father in the rental industry and stuff like that there was obviously so many sacrifices that he had to make um I think you know there was a lot of long hours and a lot of traveling and you know we first um we lived in Sydney we then got transferred to Adelaide and then we were transferred to Brisbane and um and you know we were part of his journey so I think although he kept it very private from us um you know there were some significant events that occurred whilst um, whilst he was especially at Coates Hire with acquisitions like Rec Air um, and Prestige Portables and stuff like that, that I was only a kid, but I still remember um, it being a, a significant impact to him and, and his work. And I believe he was heavily associated with the, the trade associations as well, like the HRA and the EWPA. Yeah, so ironically, um, that was news to me as well. It wasn't until, um, unfortunately, Dad passed away a couple of years ago that I actually discovered that he was the president um, in both South Australia and Queensland. Um, and apparently it was involved in the formation of the EWPA. So when I read that, um, yeah, it was amazed me. He, um, it wouldn't surprise me. Um, he did have a love for the industry. And um, he would want to invest his time and, um, and pass on that knowledge and, and help others in the industry succeed as, as he did. That's awesome. That's, that's, I think you'd be pretty happy to, to know that you're still sort of charging through the industry. <laughs> I'm sure he would be. I think I was one of four daughters, um, no sons. So I guess I always had that, you know, big shoes to fill and to follow my father's footsteps. And in a male-dominated industry then, well, I had my challenges, didn't I? But I think, um, you know, when I uh, moved across to on-site, Trevor James, Tim Helfers um, were amazing. They supported me. They, um, yeah, I've been well looked after. Mm. And so I was looked doing a bit of research on Onsite and I saw that they, they have a program called the OnStar Awards. Like what exactly is, is the program about? Yeah, so the Onsite OnStar Employee Award Scheme, um, it was first launched back in 2017 and it recognises employees' behavioural excellence. So each quarter, um, staff have the opportunity to nominate colleagues for demonstrating and living our on-site core values. And our on-site core values include uh, ownership and accountability, nimbleness, safety, innovation, teamwork, and every customer matters. So, and the way it works um, is that there's four quarterly awards for each region and the support office. Uh, and out of those 16, people, four are then chosen for the annual award recipients. And these then people become the nominees for the annual behavioural excellent award, which is the highest award given. 
Um, so for the first time in 2020, the four annual award recipients were all female. Uh, and I'm also pleased to say that I was the successful recipient of this award. Wow, that's a must be an amazing thing in terms of from a culture standpoint to to be able to to know that onsite is is pushing through to to empower women in, within the organisation, and then obviously from yeah. your standpoint to know that they're also recognising the efforts for people that are on the back in the back office side of things as well. Oh, definitely. I think um, recognition in a business is huge. Uh, everybody knows the amount of hard work and um, that people put in, the long hours. Um, and yeah, so to be recognised, yeah, you feel special. It's, it was, it was really good. I, I was just like, I was extremely nervous. The, um, the award ceremony was conducted over Zoom due to COVID. And um, it was quite emotional when I, when my, my name was announced um, as the finalist, as the winner. Um, and I heard my colleagues' reactions from other areas of the, the building and stuff like that. It was, it was truly emotional. And um, the award really meant a lot to me, um, you know, to be recognised for all my hard work and the contribution to the business. And um, it'll always be a great memory that will stick with me. And I think that's probably something that maybe a lot of listeners should really reflect on because I can just hear in your voice on on how important or how much that meant to you. And I think a lot of companies sometimes don't realize how much something like that can mean to an employee. And that might mean that person is like, yeah, I'm here for life sort of thing. Um, yes. And sometimes it's, it just gets brushed by. And it's it's really good that, on-site's obviously recognising that and it's it's probably a good example of where maybe other people can take take initiative and in, 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 in follow, follow suit, really. Yeah, yeah. Look, I like to um, feel that I'm a very loyal and dedicated employee and um, so these awards just um, tip it off, yeah. Yeah, awesome. So the final four were women, which, which is amazing, but what... What advice would you give to young women that are trying to enter a male-dominated industry like the equipment rental industry? Yeah, so, I mean, 20 years ago when I first joined, um, it was very male-dominated. Um, it was extremely common for only women to be involved in the back office functions of um, admin and accounts and stuff like that. So um, I recall vividly when I first started, you know, just answering hire inquiry calls and stuff and the callers being asked to be put through to a bloke all the time. And, um, you know, I may have told a few white lies over my time and sort of um, said that, you know, sorry, they're busy they're on another call or is there something I can help you with? And um, and obviously over time I'd build the rapport with these customers. And, um, you know, I think... Um, Today in our business, our overall workforce, we've got 22% women. Um, but when you're looking at just our indirect workforce, um, which is around about 260 odd employees, um, that's 41% make up women. So that's huge, that's astounding. And what surprises me the most is um, the, the role of a hire controller. So that position 20 years ago to have a, a woman, like I said, 
it was just not accepted. They would want to be put through to a bloke. And, um, and today I can say that um, at on-site rentals, we have over 88% women fill in filling our rental sales coordinator positions um, along with 77 percent in assistant branch manager roles and we're um, approaching 20 percent of women as account managers and you know I remember the first time um, a woman was employed as an account manager and to everybody it was it was a bit of like well this is a, a big experiment let's see how she goes and um, so yeah it's it's been incredible to um to actually see so i my advice for women wanting or looking to enter the industry is what are you waiting for um the roles are definitely no longer filled by gender identification i think that's based definitely on your experience your willingness to learn dedication and um i definitely highly recommend it wow there's some amazing stats 80 percent on a higher yeah. control so that's uh, I'm, I'm we'll have to try and see if any other companies can match that but that's a yeah <laughs> that's an unbelievable yeah. stat yeah it is um it's in, it's incredible so uh yeah is it a male dominated industry anymore that's the question i think i I don't think it is. And I think as, you know, as we're seeing this shift in other industries, I mean, construction and mining, they're our, um, they're our clientele. And, uh, you know, I deal direct with some of our larger organised like customers and their organisations. And there's, there's definitely more and more women. Um, so. Mm. So let's go back to when you were a higher controller and, and people were asking to be put through to a male instead. Yes. I think you had a certain mentality to to push forward because I think a lot of people would almost get uh, demotivated by something mm. like that. And so is that something that you, you were sort of raised to sort of say, no, 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 women, <laughs> women, women can do this as well. Like, oh. I, where did that come from? Well, it's just um, for me, I, um, I knew my product. I... I made sure I knew my product and I offered good customer service. So, you know, put those two things together. That's all the customer was wanting. And as long as you can instill in them confidence that you knew what you were talking about, that you knew the questions to ask. And obviously I was only learnt on what questions to ask and stuff like that from being mentored, even from my um, my father and, and fellow colleagues and stuff like that so it took time but once I did build that rapport and everything like that I mean I had guys ringing me up hey smiley um and that just yeah made my day awesome and so so there is some companies out there in, in certain parts of the industry that are still struggling to to get that right balance of females in the organization or, or in the industry so mm -hmm. how do you think that the industry as a whole can attract more women? Look, the rental industry, um, as we all know, has always um, been run on very long hours, you know, and having um, a work-life balance, I think, is extremely important for women in the industry. Um, the companies need to obviously need to offer flexible working arrangements and that could be around start times, finish times, um, being able to work from home. And I think over COVID, 
we've proved that it's actually possible. Um, with technology that's in place today, it is. I mean, when I first started 20 years ago, we had whiteboards on nearly every wall of the office and we'd have every single asset listed and we'd have green and red dots that would be our go row, you know, the green is ready to go, red needs to be serviced. And um, we had manual day books and um, there was a reason to be in an office. And now with technology and, um, and now that's all online and it's all within our applications and stuff like that, um, I think the key is work-life balance yeah i think that yeah that, that is that is a really good point because if if both parents of, of kids for example uh are working full-time and a lot of times it, it society assumes that the the mother is going to go pick up the kid or the mother's going to go do that and i think society as a whole is slowly shifting as well to see that the males are more involved in in sort of those duties and those sort of things and yeah. yeah, it's it, it's a challenge. Like uh, I, I was talking to someone previously, and, and they wanted to go to like to, to their first toolbox talk, toolbox talk, but it was at six a.m. and I had to drop mm. off the kids. So I was like, yeah. all right, well, I'm getting held back already. Um, <laughs> so it's it's a challenge, yeah. and I think it, it's going to be a work in progress. But the fact that onsite rentals is putting so much emphasis on this and those stats that mm. you mentioned, it's it's a it's a great start, I would say. Yeah, definitely. So talking about change. How do you think mm -hmm. that the equipment rental industry has changed over the past 10 or so years? Yeah, for sure. There's um, probably three things that would come to mind. Number one would be the focus around OH&S. I think um, with the introduction of toolbox meetings, you know, take fives, uh, swims, PPE gear, um, site and equipment compliance and everything, um, businesses now needing to report on LTIs, MTIs of part of major tenders uh, is becoming increasingly important for the business. And you will laugh, but I do vividly recall back in December 2007, I would have been six months pregnant and I was driving scissor lifts to the wash bay to be gurneyed. Uh, no high vis, no foot protection, eye protection. Um, and that was a common occurrence. You know, we would just get out and we'd help the yard staff at such a busy time of the year and um, I look back now and I think wow like so unsafe. Second um, thing that I would have to say is around technology definitely around telemetrics and GPS tracking, consumpt uh, consumption usage alerts, machine diagnostics um, and also customer reporting so that's just is and it's been a huge change in the last 10 years um, and forever evolving as we all know. And third would have to be challenges um, relating to customers' procurement systems. So becoming they're just becoming more complex and automated for us to claim invoices and payments, et cetera. So the rental industry um, to date has had a very unique way of charging with rates that reduce based on the duration of the hire. So that's proving to be more difficult to make customers stringent PO controls. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And I guess that's, that's really where you need to find out how your software vendor or any software vendor can work with the, the procurement systems of those large organizations, essentially. Is that what you're sort of referring to? Yeah, look, it is, it's coming up with, yeah, what's, what's the solution? Um, and that is going to work for both the customer 
and and on site or or our industry. So um, mm. I think going back many years ago, where people could manually adjust POs and um, um, have a lot more control with systems that are being implemented today, it's not so easy. So it's yeah, exploring options, like you said, working with our software developers and vendors and uh, coming up with a, a better solution. Mm. And and you mentioned about the the change in, in software. So uh, you mentioned there was a couple of different stages that you went through, but uh, and then you mentioned that there used to be the whiteboard for for everything as well, <laughs> uh, which I can, mm. can't imagine you trying to write all of your assets on a whiteboard now. It would be impossible. Um, well, it was, yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> uh, and, and I guess a lot of small companies probably think they can't live without a whiteboard. Like it's it's just part of their their, their process. And so is yes. that also a, a culture shift and, and like a, a process shift to make sure that your employees understand how to use their system to get that information quickly? Is, like, is that like, how did you sort of it transition is. out of the yep. whiteboard? Look, and a lot of people are visual people and lots of people just, yeah, need it in front of them. And um, obviously it is now accessible from the system, but it's now all about um, this one source of truth and it's also important for everything to be timely as well like actioned timely and and if you're processing it through your um your erp system and everything like that then you know that that's where the, it's going to be accurate and stuff opposed to people double handling like you know you would have had to have done it in your erp system and then you would have to go and update your whiteboards or you'd have to um go and manually update a day book and stuff like that so it's to reduce the double handling um but also you know with technology and stuff like that with um our service technicians and everything like that having tablets out in the road and everything like that they're not going to come back into the branch to have a look at when equipment are due and and um and know what's out of service and stuff like that when it's at their fingertips on their tablets now so it's uh definitely a culture a culture change mm. Okay, and so look, you mentioned a few names already, but who do you think played a big influence on you from a mentor perspective? Oh, there's so many people. Um, so many people that I've looked up to, inspired by. Um, there's just too many to list, but I guess I've got two, um, two of my biggest influences, one being my father, not only from a career point of view, but from a personal life. I guess he's instilled the values that I have today, very hardworking, loyal and, and passionate. And this has certainly paid off in my career, but also um, as, a, as a wife and a mother as well. And secondly, my manager, so Anthony Bolak, National IT Manager um, of Onsite Rental Group. He's, I've had the pleasure of knowing him for over 15 years and, um, and his combined operational and IT background is second to none. And, you know, to this, um, day he still is teaching me and um, we've had a great working relationship so but um, in saying that I also honestly believe that you can take away something from from everyone um, and every person that you engage with over the course of life so I guess whether it is a positive or a negative experience it that's what builds your character and your determination to become the best person we can be so you know I um there's been a lot of a lot of people 
Yeah, well, I think I've heard someone on the previous podcast episode say that sometimes you learn just as much from bad managers that you do from good managers. It's true. <laughs> it's true. And um, yeah, there's there's been definitely times in my life and um, that have had yeah such a negative impact or um, that and it's changed me as a person because it's sort of makes you not want to be that person or um so yeah it's very true mm. and, you, and you sort of when you go through that experience you sort of know that that what that person is thinking while working and and the mindset that they've got and how demotivating it, it, it can be and so i think mm. yeah it's, it's really important to experience those sort of things as well it's just hard to i guess explain that to the manager at the time <laughs> you almost want to take it for yourself and make sure that you're you're going to become a better version unless you've got that really good relationship with your manager yeah that's right <laughs> very true okay well so if you could go back in time and give your younger self some advice what would you say oh that's a tough question and i think um public speaking is definitely one of my weaknesses <laughs> today I'm completely out of my comfort zone so I think that would be one area that I'd recommend is overcoming the fear at an early age um, and not to self-doubt your abilities and have faith and confidence in yourself um, get out of the comfort zone give things a go I think um, this year I'm planning to join the women in hire program and I'm hoping that by networking with other women within the industry that um, it just might give me that advantage of um, especially just talking in general with people and um, and public speaking. It's, it's very daunting for me and I lack that in confidence. Yeah, well, I think you joining that program and just telling your story and and sharing your experiences is going to go a long way in you providing confidence to other women that are in that program as well. So you, you'll probably get out of it just as much as, um, as they're getting, if not more. That's exactly. Yes. Yeah. And, and then from the public speaking side, that just comes with um, just experience really. We might have to get you on a live podcast one time to, to see, <laughs> to see what we can do there then, but you're doing amazing so far. You, you're nailing all the questions. Oh, uh... <laughs> yeah it's tough <laughs> all right well look last one so how do you define success <laughs> and what do you think was maybe a defining moment so far for you yeah so success for me um would be reaching your goals in life both personally and in work um i once read actually happiness does not bring success it's actually the opposite and success brings happiness and i think that's very true. Um, and I guess a divining moment for me um, was the decision at the time to continue my career in the rental industry after my dad retired from it. And I guess to put that into context, we'd worked so closely together and um, he was my go-to. And the realisation of wanting to continue in the industry, even without him, that was definitely a pivotal moment um, and that has led to my success today. So well, that's a good answer. And I think the industry as a, 
as itself is is uh is quite lucky to have someone like you that's so passionate and, and involved and hopefully this podcast can sort of inspire some other people to to sort of get that fire as well because yeah you're clearly a, a very big asset to to on-site rentals and and the uh the industry yeah thanks i wouldn't uh i don't think i would have it any other way it's um it's like family there's um you know once you I think uh, join the industry, not too many people leave it. And um, it's evident with um, people coming and going and when joining your business and everybody has a past and a history and has worked for somebody or knows somebody. And, um, and yeah, that's, I think it's a great industry to be involved in. All right, Angela. Well, I really want to thank you for coming on the Rental Journal podcast. Thank you very much. Like share follow the rental journal podcast and i'll see everyone in the next episode